Um, so the passage comes from Judges 13, um, 1 to 5, and then all the 14 and all of 15. So settle in. <laughs> Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And then chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither of his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he walked down and talked with a woman, and he liked her. Some time later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as it was customary for, for young men. When the people saw him, they chose thirty men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? 
Samson said to them, If you had not plowed me with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to him, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing corn of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing corn together with the vineyards and olive groves. When the Philistines asked, who did this? They were told, Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, Since you've acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize what the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and, and led him up to the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a, bonkey, a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place became called Ramath Lahir. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened the hollow place in the high, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength was returned. His strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called en Hakol, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Hello. Um, it'll be great to have that passage open as we work our way through it tonight. Uh, when Liana and I were first married, we had most of our furniture organised, but uh, we didn't have a bed frame. And so after we got back from our honeymoon, we went to Ikea and we bought a bed. All good, obviously. It just took forever because Ikea is enormous and we wandered about and got lost and all the rest. But eventually, we buy this bed. And, you know, 
as IKEA is, it's all flat packed and, and we bring it out and I bring the car around to the loading dock and uh, go to put it in the car and guess what? It doesn't fit. Uh, it's too big. And never mind, we'll put it in the back, put it in the back. No, it's too wide. Uh, 45 minutes later, I have tried every angle, every manoeuvre, every flip. This bed frame is not going in this car. There is no way. And so I'm like, all right, we just, we just need to take it back. We just have to go back inside Ikea and say, we're returning this bed frame. But no, we can't do that because Ikea is now closed. <laughs> this is the old Ikea. Um, they shut early and the car park isn't undercover and it starts raining. I kid you not. It's dark. It's the middle of winter. Uh, it's raining. I'm here with my new wife and my stupid bed <laughs> and I have no clue what to do next. I'm actually stuck. And just then, a man comes up to us and asks if we need any help. And he's got this glorious station wagon, uh, seats folded down in the back, and he says, look, you know, uh, I'll just throw it in the back here and I'll follow you home. And we're like, oh, thank you so much, but, you know, only if it's not going out of your way. And um, he's like, you know, where do you need to get to? And we say, oh, we're going to Mount Lawley. And he had his teenage son with him there at the time. And you can tell from his reaction that that is not the way they're going. <laughs> uh, but he's like, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, you know, throw it in the back. How do you get there? And I had to look this guy in, in, the, in the eye and tell him that I didn't know how to get to my house. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have uh, Google Maps back then. We didn't have any map. And I'd never been to Ikea I grew up in a different part of Perth and I'd only been to my house once. And so he said, well, tell me the address. You can follow me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I followed this man uh, with my bed to my new house. And that is how I know what it's like to be hopeless and helpless and to have someone rescue you before you even ask. And that is what the Samson story is all about. It's a big story. We want, I wanted to read all of it tonight to get the whole scope of it. It's a huge story. Let's dig in. Uh, it starts with the same cycle that we've seen throughout uh, Judges. Now, I've got a clicker here. Is this working? No. Who's responsible for this tech? Oh, it is going. There we go. There's the cycle. Uh, it's there uh, in 13.1. We just wanted to read the start. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. It's the same cycle that we've seen all the way through. Israel does evil, and so God punishes them. And then Israel cries out to God, and God provides a judge to save them, except that's not what happens. Israel don't cry out to God. This cycle is different. See, the other thing we've seen as we've gone through Judges is that there's a downward spiral that with each cycle of Judges, the situation gets worse and worse. Down they go. And here, Israel have completely 
fallen apart. God hands them over to the Philistines for 40 years and not a whimper. Not even alive enough to cry out for help. They don't do anything, but God does something. Into the void, God sends this miraculous child to a barren woman with a promise. Verse 5, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. God sends a deliverer to this broken nation who don't even cry out to him. Now, the most important thing about him is he's to be a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite was someone especially set apart for God. Uh, it was actually something that any Israelite was allowed to do. Um, you could take this Nazarite bow and then you'd keep certain rules. You would not drink alcohol, you wouldn't touch anything unclean, and uh, you wouldn't cut your hair. And it was a way of dedicating yourself to the Lord. Uh, but it was only ever temporary. But here, Samson is to be a Nazarite for life. In a way, he's just like Israel. Israel, were God's people, chosen by God, set apart to be different from the nations around them. But they mess it up. And just like Israel, uh, Samson's the same. He is unholy disobedient, impulsive, selfish, weak-willed. And yet he's the one that God uses to save them. Uh, We're going to break down the Samson story with three animals, uh, the lion, the fox, and the donkey. The honey lion, the fire foxes, and the donkey's jawbone. Uh, It's a story of riddles, a story of revenge, and a story of resignation. Uh, Let's pick it up in chapter 14. Uh, The first thing Samson does uh, after we get his birth story in chapter 13, uh, the first thing he does is he sees a Philistine woman and he tells his parents to get her for him. See, it's exactly the problem that Israel has. They were meant to be separate, but instead they marry foreign women and take on the worship of their gods. And that's the first thing Samson does too. Uh, the one who's going to save God's people from the Philistines, starts by marrying a Philistine. She's the right one for me. Now, if you've got an ESV there, uh, the verse actually says, she is right in my eyes. And isn't that just the very definition of sin? He wants what is right in his own eyes. In chapter 13, verse 1, Israel do evil in the eyes of the Lord. But Samson does what is right in his eyes. Samson is the picture of Israel, a living example of their rebellion. But this first section is a story of riddles. A story of riddles. Uh, Riddles and secrets, hidden things. Because, did you notice, God has a secret here. He had something that no one else knows. There in verse 4. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, this this marriage. Uh, This was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. See, even in Samson's marriage, God has a secret plan. It's this first riddle, this secret that we get to know about. Uh, The next secret is about the lion. 
Samson has a secret there about this line that he's torn apart in verse 6. Uh, it says, he, neither, he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And then he finds the honey on the way back and he keeps that a secret too. He's like a teenage boy. He never tells his parents anything, it seems. And so they eat the honey. And this is important because the thing about a Nazarite is they're not meant to eat or they're not meant to touch anything unclean. And look, I'm not an expert in the Israel's food laws, um, but it feels like eating honey from the dead carcass of a lion is kind of unclean. And turns out that's right. You're not meant to touch anything dead. Anything dead was unclean. And, and Samson is eating it out of the dead carcass of an animal. And actually, I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading it, it reads just like Genesis chapter 3. He sees the honey, he scoops some out, he eats it, and he gives it to his parents. And that's what, exactly what Eve does in the garden. She sees the fruit, she takes it, she eats it, and she gives some to her husband. Samson isn't just like Israel. He's like everyone. He is the poster boy for sin, for doing what is right in his own eyes. So we've got the secret of the lion, the secret of the honey, and from those two secrets, Samson comes up with his riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Uh, it's a bit of fun for his uh, wedding feast, and he makes a bet. Uh, 30 sets of clothes if you can solve my riddle. And Samson figures there's, there's no way that they'll be able to work it out. Only he knows. All he needs to do is keep the secret. Don't tell anyone. But the men from Timnah get his wife in on it and she goes full emotional blackmail on the situation. Oh, you hate me. You don't really love me. Oh, and she nags and she cries for seven days and he can't take it. Samson is so strong. He rips a lion apart with his bare hands. But he is so weak. He can't even stand up to a little bit of nagging. What can we say about this episode with the honey lion? Well, if you wanted to paint a portrait of Israel, you'd paint Samson. Uh, he just goes about doing what is right in his own eyes. See, who am I describing here, Samson or Israel? Chosen, set apart to be holy, dedicated to God, but then disobeys like Adam and Eve and joins in with foreign nations. It's both of them. Samson is Israel. And if you're a Christian here today, then Samson and Israel should stand as a warning for us. Because the New Testament uses the same kind of language to describe what it's like to be a Christian. Uh, Peter says that we are a holy nation, God's special possession, to be different from the world around. So how are we going with that? With standing apart from the world, with living lives of sexual purity and personal holiness, 
Who does a better job? Samson keeping his Nazarite vow or us living holy lives for Jesus? Do you fight hard against sin or do you fold with just a bit of nagging from your friends? See, we shouldn't be too quick to judge Samson without examining ourselves first. But back to Judges. The first animal is the honey lion, and it's a story of riddles. But let's take a look at who wins here. Samson thinks he's won, uh, but then he loses the bet. So the Philistines win. Ah, no. They think they've won, but then Samson just kills 30 men from a different town, gets their clothes and hands them over. So the Philistines lose too. You know who really wins? God wins. It's his secret that wins the day because we know as we read through that he's looking for an occasion to confront the Philistines. He wants to save his people and he's working everything together for that end. And this riddle, uh, Samson's riddle, has lit the fuse on that conflict quite literally. Our next animal is the firefoxes. Yes, the firefoxes. And it's a story of revenge. Uh, You see there at the end of verse 19, as the episode is finishing up, it says, burning with anger, Samson returned to his father's home. The whole thing with the riddle has left Samson burning. The fire is lit inside of him. And so later on, he goes back to get his wife and the father has given her away to someone else. And the whole thing is just ready to blow up. Now, I feel like as an aside, we really need to to think about this. See, all the way through, these unsettling things are happening all over the place and especially to women. They're treated like possessions, just objects uh, to pass back and forth and getting caught up in the crossfire. Uh, But I want to say that just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's endorsed by God. Actually, it's the opposite. Uh, The picture here is for us to see how much Israel has become like the nations around them, like the evil pagan world around them. And so, of course, they don't treat men or women with the respect and dignity they deserve. I think we're meant to read it and just be repulsed at how evil this is, how far they have sunk. But the fuse is lit. And watch how everything escalates in this cycle of revenge. It goes from burning to burning to burning. Samson burns with anger and then he burns down their crops with the foxes and then they retaliate and burn his wife and her father to death. Uh, You see it right there in the verses of chapter 15, verse 3. uh, Samson says, I have a right to get even with them. Verse 7, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Verse 10, to do to him as he did to us. Verse 11, I merely did to them what they did to me. Back and forth, evil replayed with evil and more evil. It's a story of revenge. Just a few weeks back uh, in Judges 9, Mike took us through the story of Abimelech and how Abimelech killed 70 of Gideon's sons and the one remaining brother, 
Jotham didn't take revenge. He left it to God to bring them to justice. And we are long gone from those days. And as you read through chapter 15, who is worse, Samson or the Philistines? Honestly, you can hardly tell the difference between them. But even here, we see God bringing about his secret plan because the conflict escalates. God is seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, to rescue his people. So it starts with Samson killing 30 men to pay off the debt and then it escalates with 300 fire foxes and then the next thing you know there's 3,000 men turning, coming to, to take hold of Samson and bring him in. There in verse 11, it goes 30, 300, 3,000. God is setting up to confront the Philistines. But just a minute, did you notice something else? The 3,000 men who come to grab uh, Samson, they're not Philistines. They're in verse 11. Then 3,000 men from Judah. That brings us to the final part of this story, the donkey's jawbone, the story of resignation. In the US Army, uh, part of the code of conduct for soldiers is that if they're captured, they have a duty to try and escape. Uh, I think the idea is that if the prisoners of war are kind of making it difficult and trying to escape all the time, then the enemy has to devote more of their own military resources just to keeping hold of the prisoners. But it's also for those prisoners. So they have a reason to keep fighting. It keeps their spirits up. They, They keep... Resisting rather than giving in gives them a purpose and some hope. And Israel have none of that. They've reached the point of resignation. So it's not the Philistines who come to get Samson, it's the men of Judah. Now Judah especially, they're meant to be the warriors. Back in chapter 1 of uh, Judges, Judah are the first to go up and confront the Canaanites. And now, look at them. They're totally resigned. Look at what they say to Samson. They say, don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us? Don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us? They've given up. Don't annoy them, Samson. Don't you realise they're in charge now? And so they hand him over to the pagan nation to kill him. It is a low, low moment for God's people. They were meant to be the ones to drive out the nations. But now they've gone from just tolerating them to joining in with them and now they've resigned themselves to being their slaves. And I wonder if there's a warning there for us as well, for those of us who call ourselves God's people if we've been uh, rescued, called into that relationship with God, and if we've been called to live a holy life in the midst of the world, then have we just resigned? When it gets tough, it's very easy just to give up, to resign ourselves to sin, 
uh, we stop fighting against the world's influence and just accept it as our ruler. What's the point? Don't you know that social media reigns over us? We have to do what our friends are doing. Of course we do. Don't be like that. The men of Judah are a warning here. Don't give in to the world around you. There is nothing sadder than a Christian who's given up the fight. But back to Judges. Uh, Israel have resigned themselves, but God has not resigned anything. Check out verse 14. Uh, Samson's being uh, dragged along, uh, tied up, and as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting, you have this army kind of rushing in, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Once again, it's the Spirit of the Lord. God's secret is coming out. Samson grabs a fresh uh, donkey's jawbone, all bloody, you know, teeth still on it. Uh, definitely an unclean object for a Nazarite, doesn't matter. Uh, and God gives him a great victory. And I love that after he struck down all these Philistines, uh, Samson writes a little poem just to make fun of them. He makes a little limerick just to, to get at them. He's teasing them. See, look at how ridiculous they are. God defeats them with a donkey's jawbone. That's actually what it's been like all the way through Judges. Uh, think about all the weapons that the judges have used as we've gone through this book. Here's the list. Uh, Shamgar uses an ox goad, something that looks like that. Uh, Ehud uses a tiny sword. Um, that's actual length to how long it would have been. Um, Jael uses a tent peg. There's the tent peg. Jael uses a tent peg. Gideon's army um, use trumpets. Oh, hello. There we go. Um, and torches. And Samson uses a donkey's jawbone. <laughs> That's the set. That's the full set of, of weapons, right? They're weird weapons. It's so unlikely. And that's the point. Because God is the one who's doing the fighting. His secret is that he's working everything to deliver his people. Everything. Even through Samson's anger and revenge and unholiness, God is at work. And the strange weapons are a signal that it's not human strength, but God's strength that is at work. There are three animal stories, um, but there's one more part to this, and it's a story about rescue. The final bit uh, at the end. The battle's over and Samson's exhausted at this point. Actually, he's at the point of death and he realises, I'm going to die here and the Philistines are going to come in and they're going to find me dead and they're going to take my body and they're going to say that they killed me and it will be such a humiliation and he can't bear the thought of it. And so finally, after everything, finally, an Israelite cries out to God. This dodgy Nazarite with a bloody jawbone in his hand and with a Philistine ring on his finger, he cries out to God. And God is so merciful, isn't he? 
He hears him and he saves him. Let's have a look. Verse 19. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called Enhakore. It means caller's spring. Finally, he's called out to God and God saves him. And that is the one big point of this wild story. That God rescues the helpless and the hopeless. So cry out to him. God rescues the helpless and the hopeless. So cry out to him. See, Samson isn't the hero of this story. God is the hero. God rescues Samson. And God uses Samson to rescue Israel. And in a strange way, Samson is a picture of both. He's both the rescued and the rescuer. He's the one who gets rescued. He's a lesson for Israel. They can cry out to God. Samson is so messed up. He's as messed up as the nation is. But he cries out to God and God rescues him. They are not too far gone. Cry out to God. And as the one that God uses as the rescuer, Samson sets the pattern for Jesus. See, who am I talking about here? Samson or Jesus? His coming was announced by an angel. He was born to a woman in a miraculous way. His life was dedicated to God. He was handed over by his own people, the people of Judah, into the hands of a pagan nation to be killed. And like Samson, Jesus' weapon is the most unusual of all. It is the cross of execution, which he uses to defeat sin and death itself. See, God has sent a saviour, He's a God who rescues the helpless and the hopeless. He's a God who rescues the helpless and the hopeless. So cry out to him. Cry out for yourself. If you feel lost and far from God, if you feel like you've stuffed up so badly, if you feel unholy and distant from him, cry out to God. You are not too far gone. You are not too far gone. Cry out for your friends and family, no matter where they're at. They are not too far gone. Cry out for them to know Jesus, the living water that bubbles up to eternal life, that people can drink from and be revived. Cry out to God for that. And as we do that, we can have confidence. We can have confidence because we've seen that God works everything towards his saving purposes. Even Samson's vengeance and unholiness, God works to save his people. And even in the evil and wickedness of the cross, 
God uses even that to achieve his purposes. And in our own lives, even in our own brokenness and failures, we can know that God is not unable to use those in his plan to rescue us. The story of Samson shows us that even those things can't stop God from working out his saving plans for you and for our world. What we see is that in Jesus, God rescues the helpless and the hopeless. So cry out to him.